0: Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance.
1: Hey folks, Jason Moore here. This episode is brought to you by CoreSense. CoreSense is the new heart rate variability sensor that we at Elite HRV have designed specifically to capture accurate HRV from the fingertip. So whether it's the two-minute morning baseline readings or the five-minute biofeedback breathing session at the office or at home, anywhere, the 500 hertz multi-wavelength sensor array that's in CoreSense brings unparalleled accuracy and convenience literally to your fingertip. It's brand new, and it's only available at EliteHRV.com slash Coresense. That's C-O-R-S-E-N-S-E. Now on to the show. Welcome back to the Elite HRV podcast. This is your normal host, Jason Moore. And today we have joining us Dr. Richard Hart. Richard, welcome.
0: Thanks, Jason. It's a pleasure to be back.
1: Yeah, definitely. And uh, as you've just mentioned, uh, you've been on our show before and um, shared some really incredible information with us about the brain, about how the mind works and about things that we can do to self-regulate. And uh, a lot has changed in the world since the last time we talked. And this is um, a really interesting time that we're living through. And I'm incredibly glad that we that you reached out to me uh, to share with me that you have uh, some experience dealing with situations like we're seeing in the world today, which we'll kind of dig into a little bit, but um, it's something that I kind of want to preface this conversation with is that we have done two podcast episodes around coronavirus-related subjects so far, um, and in one of them, a perfect storm, we talked about me and the guests talked about, uh, chronic health conditions and kind of how those relate to this acute pandemic situation. And, uh, a listener kind of emailed and said that it sounded like we were downplaying the severity of the pandemic in favor of focusing on the chronic health condition situation. And, you know, that's something that, you know, when you get that type of feedback, you, you really have to think critically about it. And uh, that's definitely not what I was intending to do in that episode. Um, I'm just very passionate about chronic health conditions. But the reason why I'm bringing that up now is because that feedback uh, was very powerful to me. And it corroborated uh, some of the experiences I've been seeing in the world, and some of the people who are dealing with lots of things like losing their jobs or dealing with uh, health situations that are uh, press much more severe than they anticipated. And then you reached out, Richard, and shared with me an incredibly powerful story about uh, some of your dealing with not only this type of pandemic situation like SARS, which we can talk about later, but also as a healthcare professional, how you dealt with stress and overload and uh, trying to accomplish uh, uh, and serve people in many different ways. And so that's kind of where I want to start the story. And before I dive in If people can bear to listen to me just for another few seconds, I'll just introduce Richard again. In case you haven't heard the first episode that he uh, came on the show with us, I highly recommend it. It's called Mastering Self Regulation for Optimal Decision Making. And a quick background on Dr. Hart is that he is a high performer by definition. Um, He's been a high performing athlete and a high performing surgeon and is uh, recognized internationally in oncology specifically, and um, has created, uh, he's awarded the Center of Excellence by the Cancer Care Ontario organization, and uh, has operated one of the busiest uh, programs in the nation there. And, um, you know, it's just the reason why I kind of want to highlight all of that is because today, Dr. Richard has been very kind to share with us a little bit more about the other side, the kind of the behind the scenes of what it's like being a high performer and still being human. And it almost makes me kind of emotional even just to say the introduction like this, because this is a very uh, big moment of vulnerability that I wanted to just ex- uh, express deep appreciation for Richard. So thank you so much for being here. And um, yeah, welcome back.
0: <laughs> wow. Thank you, Jason. I mean, that's incredibly generous and kind. And, you know, I've always believed that other people tell you you're good, that you don't tell people you're good. Um, so that was really special to hear. Um, You know, some of the things I'm going to talk about today. I'm not working in the front lines right now because of an issue I had Um, dealing with, you know, performance and burnout. And, you know, that's the story that I wanted to share today, given what we're going through. So, as you really highlighted so nicely, You know, in our last podcast, the things that we talked about, you know, so I'm a surgeon athlete, right? I was an athlete before I was a surgeon. And as an athlete, I learned not just how to compete, but really how to compete at peak performance. And my coaches trained me, they taught me, they pushed me, we never stopped. And then I applied those lessons and work ethic to my surgical training and practice. And as you said, it was uh, highly regarded. Right, I'm extremely goal-driven and results-oriented, which is exactly the same as everyone right now who's currently working in the front lines of healthcare, first responders, but actually all sectors in society right now where there's a high risk-to-reward ratio, be it in business or, or all these people homeschooling right now their kids and trying to raise responsible, loving children during a crisis, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm but i reached out because if we only speak about our successes and shape our narrative in a certain way we really provide a skewed view of what life is like and i think it can be harmful and we can seem really unrelatable at times right if we look at social media everyone looks great so we end up looking like we're we're comparing our life to someone else's highlight reel because in order to succeed to truly succeed, right? You, you're going to go through a ton of failures. And, and I've had many, you know, if you show me someone who's never failed, I'll show you someone who's never done anything or isn't telling the truth. And what I've come to learn is that it's in our darkest moments where we actually find the blueprints for our next success. So I'm going to share this story today, which I never imagined I'd talk about publicly um, because of the situation we find ourselves in now with coronavirus and if telling it can help prevent one person from going through what I did then hopefully I've provided a service because I'm really concerned about all of the people who are currently working right now and the fallout that's surely to come later because this 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 moment that we're in is not a moment it's not a sprint right it's a marathon and we need to personally be prepared for that marathon so, you know, my surgical training was in the era when we didn't think about physician wellness. 100 plus work hour weeks were the norm with on-call duties. And then as a transplant fellow, I was on call every day. You know, throughout those times, I can recall going to the hospital on a Friday morning and effectively not coming back until a Monday night because the several hour breaks that we may have had would have been lost to travel. So it was just easier to sleep on a sofa. Or an emerge bed um, rather than traveling. And while it wasn't healthy, it felt normal. It's what we all did. And I didn't think I suffered from it at the time, but the culmination of all those experiences of pushing my mind and body beyond healthy limits with no recovery in sport and surgery was having a huge impact on me, but I just didn't realize it. So I had set up my life in such a way that I was continually taking on increasing tasks and never saying no to get ahead because the external validation that I was getting from that was filling a void. And unfortunately it seemed more important to me than whether I had internal satisfaction. So stretching myself in all directions was something that I'd normalized. Now Mm. I'm not unique in this and it's far more common in healthcare than people know. And I'm concerned that this crisis is going to further increase the rising global epidemic that we're seeing in flame out, which is temporary exhaustion, burnout and mental health concerns. But for context, this is really no different than the person who works seven days a week, or brings their work home with them, or is actually in active military situations, right? It's not specific to healthcare. But it's the lens from which I view it, because critically, naturally thriving on challenge doesn't make one immune to the effects of overwhelming, unchecked, continued stressors. Right? I always say there's no stress in any situation, but only how you perceive that situation. And while I still believe that that's in critical and important in a moment, right? you need that to perform optimum. But if that is repeated over long periods of time, it can become detrimental and actually maladaptive. And for me, it it caused me to lose the awareness of what my body was telling me. We're dealing with life and death situations daily and taking care of critically ill patients. And we have tools and skills to change lives, it's what we're trained to do. But unfortunately, in oncologic surgery or what we're seeing now with COVID, there's the added stress of oftentimes not having anything we can offer people. This takes an emotional toll across time. So while some people look at it and say, we save lives, I'm going to tell you that I never imagined that I'd ever have needed to get on a plane to go somewhere to save my own. You know, I've always demanded an exceptionally high bar of my own performance and strive for perfection, but perfection's elusive and it can create a mental state or a perception that no matter how well you've done or how great a case goes, you just don't seem to be satisfied. You can find fault in your performance. That void continues to be empty. And then when you couple that with a competitive nature, if someone said something couldn't be done. I would work twice as hard to prove them wrong. So I felt like I was always in a competition to be perfect or to be the best. And you know, that competition wasn't with other people; it was with myself. You know, so while I had a passion for complex surgery, surgery and critically passing that knowledge on and teaching residents so they could be the best uh, that uh, that they could be in any given moment. When I look back on things now, I see I didn't always get those personal interactions right because. While having high expectations is appropriate, I don't think I was able to convey my desire for excellence in constructive ways. And I see, you know, it was a function of how I was feeling at times. It was wrong because I maintained an aura of invincibility even when I was struggling. Right? The culture is not about showing vulnerability uh, that you pointed out in the beginning that this was about vulnerability. And you're right. You know, I wrongfully felt that it was a display of weakness instead of it being a display of courage and compassion. You know, I remember early in my surgical practice, um, a gastroenterologist who was at the end of his career, he told me, Rich, you need to work at a pace you can sustain for 40 years. And that concept was foreign to me. I had one pace, relentless pursuit, regardless of what I did, right? I didn't understand the role of pacing myself or work-life balance you know, so from the outside, it looked like I had it all, right? I had a busy surgical practice, social interactions, finances, great bond with my children. You know, I put everything, all my efforts into everyone. But ultimately, that came at the expense of my own self-preservation, physically and mentally, you know, but I couldn't see it. And right? I was too into, I was right in the moment. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't listen to anyone because I didn't perceive their concern as an effort for help, right? Burnout was something that was never going to happen to me, I thought. But I couldn't have been more wrong, right? I saw asking for help, though, as potentially career ending. So I kept quiet. And, you know, in our first episode, we talked about coping mechanisms and strategies for optimal performance. And I certainly had all those from sport that I transferred to surgery and they enabled me to continue to perform at a high level. But ultimately I exhausted those skills and then I eventually abandoned them, right? Two critical mistakes. My situation overran my capabilities to self-regulate. So the only place I felt good was in the operating room where I could hyper focus, compartmentalize and perform. Right? But operating was only 30 to 40% of what I did. And then once outside of that environment, I felt as if I'd lost control. Right? Everything else began to feel like a chore or mundane and irrelevant. And I started to resent some of the work I had to do. And I was emotionally exhausted. And it got to a point that I couldn't see any of my personal achievements as even being relevant or worthwhile. And this was then even more pronounced in my personal life because I then focused more and more of my attention on the only area I felt positive in the operating room, right? But to the detriment of everything else. And ultimately, everything I knew and thought was my ideal life had fallen apart. Uh, I was burnt out. I was overwhelmed. And while there may have been many circumstances in life that led to that, ultimately, it was me and me alone who made some poor choices, and as a result, I developed an addiction that, for a short period of time, consumed me. Right? I thought it was filling a void, but what it really did is nearly take my life from me. You know, I lost virtually everything that mattered to me. My surgical career was put on hold because I took a medical leave. Finances, friends, family—kind you know, of gone. But critically. Um, My own self-respect and my self-worth evaporated. You know, I'd lost my compass, and yet I was trying to deny this health crisis I was in. Thankfully, now I'm well on the other side of this and going back to surgery, and I'm grateful. I can honestly say it was the hardest obstacle that I ever had to overcome, one of the toughest challenges I ever faced, and I still learn lessons every day. Right? Just like surgical wounds, we need to heal from the inside out. You know, I've come to learn that if you're struggling, which is increasingly common, especially in this time, anything we place before our mental health or your recovery, you're going to lose. Now, I was fortunate. I was able to get through this. It was a significant amount of hard work and help of you know, medical professionals and a community of support. That I've come to develop. But then I couple that with reapplying all the self-regulation strategies that I previously had and abandoned or lost in that moment to now rewire and create new neural networks, right? To get back those healthy behaviors that I had when I was optimally performing. But perhaps I think the most important tool I now possess is the ability to ask for help in a time of relentless stressors, right? Before I reach a crisis, so I'm I'm telling this story because of where we are right now, and I'm strongly urging everyone to have tools and people in place to help them independently help and assess how they're doing. Right? It's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about what we're trying to build with next gen surgery, because while it's for optimum performance, it's also for health, and you know I know we're going to discuss some of those things today. So I first, you know, i I want to thank you for the forum to tell that story and it feels good to actually have said it out loud like this for the first time.
1: And it's, uh, it's things like this, that in a weird way, give you hope, give one hope. And, uh, a small feeling of warmth when in this dark time for many, an uncertain time for everyone, that people kind of come forward and are helping each other and are willing to help each other. And I think that I want to highlight a couple of phrases that you said in there. And one of those and this is sort of the backbone reason why we're talking about this today and why this story is so relevant to everyone today versus any other time, is because you were overrun by the situation that you found yourself in, and that situation overran your ability to self-regulate. And That is what a lot of people are finding themselves in today. That situation where, you know, they may have already been juggling a lot of things and they've, and this is um, kind of upended a lot of the things that they were, uh, have been working on in their life. Or even more specifically, um, somebody may be listening to this or may have a loved one or a friend or a family member who is. Healthcare professional and is either already overrun by this situation or is about to be overrun by this situation and is going to have to make some really tough decisions about how to cope with that, get through it, and not cause a lot of long term damage to themselves or even short term damage because overrun like this, depending on where you're at and what you're facing. Can happen very quickly. And then the last part that I want to highlight of your story is that right at the end there, you said one of the most critical things that you've developed out of this really trying uh, experience and time in your life is the ability to ask for help. And I think that kind of comes back to what I'm saying is sort of heartwarming, is that right now, I think the world realizes in general, how much hardship a lot of people are in either economically or just through general stress or dealing with really uh, you know, acute and severe health situations, either as a practitioner or even being unwell yourself. Um, but the ability to ask for help and those willing to give it is important as important now as any other time. And, you know, again, I highlighted at the beginning of this conversation that this situation is very severe. Um, and I want to, before we dig into some of the ways that people can get help and the way that they can help themselves, which is another thing I'm excited to kind of extract from you, Richard, which is, uh, I really appreciate, is um is that severity? You know, why are we talking about this right now? We kind of, I've said it's severe. You know, uh, some people realize it from firsthand experience. Others see the news and they see what people are talking about, but maybe don't quite understand why it's such a severe situation. Maybe you could give us a, a couple of sentence overview of why the situation is so severe before we dig in.
0: Uh, Certainly. Um, You know, first, I I should say, I mean, I'm I'm not a public public health expert, and I'm not an immunologist or virologist. I'm a surgeon. So, I mean, critically, if people have questions, I think the most important thing to do is go to reputable websites to get their answers. Right? These are this is a unique and unprecedented time that we're in. Right. And, you know, it's a scenario for many people, be them working or not, that is going to create an awful lot of stressors um, if they've never been involved in, in a similar response. You know, I worked through SARS. This is worse than SARS. And, you know, while this may not be the most lethal virus that the world has seen, this virus is exceptionally stealthy and efficient in its ability to transmit because it can do so at a time when we're asymptomatic right so while people are thinking they may they feel great they may actually be infected so that's what makes this significantly more scary right i mean i think there are a lot of things that People can do. I mean, we're at home. So the TV is on all the time, right? And, you know, if we just take general things, right, minimize watching or reading or listening to news about COVID, right? Because that's going to cause you significant feelings of anxiousness or distress. You can only take information from reliable sources, right? Look at scientific data. And then find practical steps to prepare and plan to protect you, your family, but also your community, right? Because this sudden stream of news, like near constantly, right, is it would cause anyone to feel worried, right? We need to learn to distinguish fact from rumor because facts minimize fear. For anybody working, you know, feeling pressure is a normal experience at this time, right? I I mean, it's absolutely normal. Stress and the feelings associated with it, though, are by no means a reflection that you can't do your job or that you're weak, okay? And I think that it's important to remember that our mental and psychosocial well-being during this time is as important as managing your physical health. Right? because your physical health is has a direct impact on your mental and psychosocial health, but the other is also true, right? In the first podcast, we talked about training the body to respond to the mind and the mind to respond to the body. Right? So you know these may sound like motherhood statements, but it's critical to take care of yourself, to rest, recover, sleep, eat healthy, engage in physical activity and be in contact with people I think I think the biggest hardship that people are facing during this time is is they feel socially isolated but you know physical distancing and sheltering in place isn't the same as social social isolation and you know my concern is that people will adopt or engage in, unhelpful strategies to help them get through this like alcohol tobacco other drugs right but in the long run that's going to worsen your psychological and physical well-being that's why i told the story that i did because it's it's a situation like this that can easily overrun us
1: and you know richard i want to highlight there real quick is that you know if as I think about this, I realize we've talked about the the coronavirus briefly and you know COVID-19 and uh we've talked about healthcare professionals a little bit. And you know, if I'm if I'm not a healthcare professional and I haven't had COVID, then I'm thinking, okay, like, you know, what can I do to Uh, help with this. And one of the things that I kind of want to highlight here as we get into this is that um, we at Elite HRV kind of started, when we started to see this whole situation unfold, like many companies, especially companies that are uh, trying to help people be healthier and more well and more fit and achieve higher performance and stuff, think how can we help with the situation, right? And um, so we put out a little survey to our users to see what was on the mind of our users with regards to this situation. And uh, you know, it was uh, about a month ago or so that we did that. And certain situ- certain areas of the world were already being directly impacted by the virus; other areas had not really seen much action yet, and. Um, we got about 2,000 responses to the survey at that time, and um, only a very small percentage of those people thought that they had been potentially exposed to the virus directly by uh, any means. But about 85% or more, I have to r- look at the exact numbers, but uh, the vast majority of the responses to the survey, said that they were stressed about the situation. And about 90 to 95% of those people said that the stress was directly related to coronavirus. And so even people who had not been directly exposed to it and maybe didn't even, weren't even sure if they would ever get exposed to it directly, were stressed about the situation. And, you know, I want to say too, obviously there's biases on who responds to surveys and all of that type of stuff. But I think one of the things that was kind of clear from that survey, and then also from my interactions with people all over the globe, because we have a global network at Elite HRV, is that There's an underlying theme of stress where everybody is feeling it and the people, but everybody kind of wants to do something to help with the situation, right? Well, one thing is obviously, you know, I won't go too deep into this, but, you know, don't, you know, do do your physical distancing, you know, don't get near other people unnecessarily. Um, You know, wear your masks, wear your gloves, wash your hands, do all of the basic recommendations. These are easy things to do that have very low downside to do and can help tremendously with the spread that Richard was just telling us about how efficient uh, COVID-19 is at spreading. And then the other thing you can do is be there emotionally and uh, socially, virtually <laughs> for your friends and family and loved ones and and the medical professionals and healthcare professionals in your area, anything that you can do to help those people, um, that is where you can really help. And it's And it also com- comes down to the fact that if you're not directly impacted by this, but you're feeling a little bit of stress about it, just imagine the level of stress that people are feeling who are directly affected by it, either getting ill themselves, having a loved one ill, or being a healthcare professional, or being having lost your job, or dealing with all of the above. Maybe some people have to deal with every single angle of that, what I just described. And that's where, you know, on the one hand, we really felt that we could make a difference. So we actually just published a free uh, course free to those in need um, about d- how to manage stress in uncertain times. But I'm going to digress from that because I just wanted to kind of tie a bow around uh, what it is that we're talking about as something that everyone can really experience and also contribute to helping with. And you've seen in, already uh, to corroborate this a uh, change in prescription drug behavior. And I think you shared a fact with me yesterday. You I'd be happy to hear that again. You can share it with the group.
0: Yeah. I mean I you know, I'm 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 not on the front line right now. I've been as you know, trying to build a venture, but you know, I am going to go back to surgery in this time um because I took an oath and I think it's my duty to serve and it would be potentially you know irresponsible not to uh given what we're going through but you know we've said yeah everyone's feeling it you you that survey that you talked about you know sure surveys are biased but i think that you know i i found data you know that shows in the united states an increase in use of prescription drugs from uh and I, I from from february 16th to march 15th and i'm talking about anxiolytics or anti-anxiety medications antidepressants and medications for insomnia right it, it increased 21% for prescriptions filled peaking the week ending in march 15th which was when covid was declared a pandemic and the greatest increase was seen in anxiolytic medications at 34.1 percent, right, for prescriptions filled. So that really corroborates sort of what you were seeing in your non-randomized, you know, collection of, of, of responses. Um, it's not surprising. And, you know, first of all, I want to congratulate and all of the primary healthcare physicians who have had and and specialists across the board who've had to change the way they work and transform everything over to virtual care to still be able to take care of their patients and while not being able to interact face to face, you know they're doing it through uh, video conferencing or on the telephone and they're all trying to help. So you know, when someone calls you and is distressed, you know, you're going to try and give them something to help that we, you know, they're they're getting so many calls that I I don't know that they have time to go into, you know, psychotherapy in depth. And so we're finding an uptick uh, in short-term treatments to help manage and mitigate the stress. And, you know, the the problem in the end with that, and this is not appropriating blame anywhere, is that you know, one most people don't know how to actually quiet their mind and or to self-regulate. So, you know, maybe we can look at this as an opportunity to change behavior, right? And and while medication is certainly necessary for a lot of people, in in the short term, you know, in the long term, it, it, it can potentially create create problems uh, for us. Right, That's sort of one of the reasons that I shared the story. Um, so I, I think that maybe this is a time where we can look for ways to focus on longer term functional capacity rather than short term crisis interventions to help us build resiliency,
1: right? And I think that to your point, well, I want to actually add to the point, I guess, is that coping with stress is not only about the long term. And I think you've kind of said this already before, and I just kind of want to package it with this part of the message is that the people turn to, you know, I, I think we've seen actually even in the, in the previous episode that I talked about this with Paul and Phil was that alcohol sales have, have had seen a significant uptick, junk food sales have seen a significant uptick. Um, and you then added to that message that prescription medications for anxiety and antidepressants and things like that have seen a, a dramatic uptick. So, People are, are coping or preparing to cope with a lot right now. And specifically, there are things that you can do to help cope and to better self-regulate today that don't have so many potential negative side effects and uh, health-compromising side effects because I think that's actually one of the things that sort of maybe didn't come out in my message uh, in the previous episode or it hasn't come out in a lot of messages is that when you take these sort of uh, unnatural approaches, if you will, to uh, dealing with s- stressful situations, you actually compromise your immune system more and um, actually I believe um, my colleague Vivek and Dr. Patrick Hannaway talked about this on two episodes ago uh, about sort of the immunology side of the equation. But um, there is an immediate actual downside to coping with stress with those situations. And what we want to Uh, cover in the last, you know, section of this episode is what are some of the self-regulation techniques that we can use that aren't, that don't come with so many downsides and create both a short-term benefit and a long-term benefit, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's great. I mean, the the way I look at it is, you know, we need to find skills and first of all, if people need medication, they need medication, full stop, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we need to Definitely. find the skills right that are helpful that can immediately lessen the effect of stress, you know while one is currently in a stressful situation or brief self-regulation strategies, but also take the opportunity to then do some skill learning, right, or deep self-regulation skills to enhance your ability to stay mentally and uh, physically healthier. So, you know, for us, we look at it as, you know, de-risking um, decisions, right? We do psychophysiologic profiles, right? That ties the central nervous system and autonomic nervous system uh, together, right? To try and, in this time, find the map right? To de-risk decision-making and provide tools, you know, to help people de-risk in the moment to perform the best when they need it most, right? Because performance is tied to error and risk. So we're looking at improving effectiveness and efficiency, right? Because stress affects both your technical and non-technical skills in whatever you're doing, right? The non-technical skills, meaning you know, leadership, communication, teamwork, or situational awareness. So, you know, I think there's three things that should be looked at. One is personal awareness, you know, how am I feeling or behaving now versus when I've been at my best, right? Try to anchor yourself to, to past successes. The second thing is the awareness from other people. Get feedback from colleagues or family, you know, how am I doing now or behaving compared to when I'm at my best? And those are the subjective things. And then finally, there's the objective measures and tracking, right? That's the psychophysiologic assessment where we look at people, baseline stressors and recovery, right? How is my mind and body coping? And, you know, heart rate variability is huge for that. You know, Similarly, heart rate is, um, peripheral temperature, not everyone has access to EEG, so you can do something simple like Sudoku, right? Because you'll get a significant dec- decline in your ability when you're stressed, right? And it's important to have these objective metrics and objective data because those other two subjective metrics can be quite discordant to what we see in the data, because it's based on self-perception and self-reporting. So, you know, EEG is is a way of looking at the brain directly. Let's not worry about that in this time. HRV, though, is simple and impactful, right? It's an indirect way of affecting both cognition and emotion, right? It's the bottom-up aspect of our platform. Right. Remember, we said last time you need to train the body to respond to the mind and the mind to the body and integrate the CNS and autonomic or central nervous and autonomic nervous system in the service of self-regulation and adaptability. Right. Developing neural efficiency and resilience. So, you know, that's those are the sort of the three ways that I uh, approach it. And then there are different strategies that we can use in those situations you know, training, when we're talking about it, you want to take people from controlled to uncontrolled situations and provide, uh transfer skills. So do you want me to get into that stuff now?
1: That would be great. Yeah. I think that this is like the perfect moment, um, because I'm primed to dig into some of it. And I have to admit too that I have personally been feeling, um, some of the things that we've been discussing today. Although I have to say, I'm grateful that I believe it's to a lesser degree than many others, but I'm pumped to hear some of this, some of this as well. Um, so yeah, let's dig in.
0: Okay. So great. I mean, so if we look at sort of on the job or brief self-regulation strategies for success, right? This is the sort of in the moment of performance, right? It's the uncontrolled environment. And probably the two most impactful things there are, are your breathing technique and self-talk. Okay. So I know we talk about breathing all the time on the podcast. You guys talk about breathing all the time. And I think you know it's important to highlight the critical aspect of breathing to enhance parasympathetic activity or tone, and it's really all about the exhale, right? Um, mm-hmm. So the technique that we like the most, or I mean, and there's tons of techniques. Let's let's. There's no not no one thing is right, right? It's what works for you. But to slow down, you know, we we implement a technique of of your exhale. Being twice as long as you're in here. Right? So if we think about it, we go in, two, three, four, pause at the top. We don't do a breath hold. You know, breath hold's great. It'll increase your HRV. But if you're just starting out with this, you don't want to do that because it'll tighten up everything else and you won't get the benefits that it derives. Right? And then so you just pause at the top and then double your count out two, three, four, five, six to let go. And you know, how long does that take? That's 15 seconds. You do that a couple of times in the moment and you will start to relax. What we have is a, you know, another thing we call awesome. It's a technique to add into that breathing pattern. And so at the top, at that pause, what you want to do is, is think about release the tension in your face and shoulders. So soften your forehead, slacken your jaw, drop your shoulders, and think about soft, warm hands as you're breathing out. All those things go back to your brain and say, I'm relaxed. And that takes, you know, you do that twice, that takes 20 seconds, right? And you can do that while you're working. Nobody would know you're doing that, right? To do some other things, you know, you can't sit down and meditate in the middle of a, of a, of a code <laughs> or when someone's crashing. But this you can mm-hmm. do, right? I mean, I like to say, yeah, I'll use surgery, but you can put any word in there. Surgery is a series of small steps done technically perfect, and each has its own beginning and its own end, right? Its own focus. You can do that for anything and put that in there and use a short technique like that. Self-talk is hugely important, right? If you're feeling negative, you know, psychological studies show, see a stop sign and know that or, or pick a key action word that works for you, right? That's the whole notion of slowing down to speed up, right? To refocus on what you're supposed to be doing right? Those all relate to different brainwave speeds, you know, um, you know, rumination, negative self-talk intensity, try too hard. You know, that's the, the brainwave speed, low beta, okay? About 18 to 22 hertz. You know, you can slow that down, okay? In the operating room, I used to say, when things were going perfectly, I'd say, what's wrong with this operation? When nothing was going wrong, when people look at you like you have three heads, But the answer is it's going too well because when it's going too well, the mind starts to wander. Right. So you use that to help you refocus, and that will help you in these situations. And in that situation, then, if you're overwhelmed, which is probably happening with most people, you know, use positive affirmations. I mean, you know, it's okay. I can get through this. People benefit from my work. Right. Anchor yourself to your past successes. You've done this before. A thousand times when, when you didn't feel as stressed and it's no different than doing it now. Right. It's, it highlights the whole use of deliberate practice and intention. Right? I used to say practice doesn't make you perfect. Uh, perfect practice makes you perfect, but that's not true. It's deliberate. Perfect practice makes you perfect. And so the, re- mm. the reason you do it perfect every time is so when you have to, you can. Right? That's how and why elite performers can always perform in the moment because they do the same thing every single time. And then that frees up neural energy for us to look and and take in other things, right and be able to process infor- information while still performing. okay? I mean, those are just simple mm-hmm. those are performance techniques. So those are things in the moment. When you're off the job, that's what we consider the controlled or the non-performance environment, right? This is building better, a better mind and body or mind-body integration to withstand stressors, right? Deep self-regulation, rest, recovery, sleep, to learn how to shut down a busy brain, which is a trait found in most elite performers. That's, you know, a high, that's high beta, um, higher waves speeds, okay? So twenty you know, three 23 to, to 35, and, you know, these are things like getting away, and I don't mean going away because we can't travel right now, but just finding a quiet space, 20 minutes uh, to an hour. If you can go support people, right? Timeouts, right? Things like that. Do nothing and, but do it. You can do it during the day, even if it's for a few minutes, but do it often. Right. Physical exercises, right. you know, I'm sitting here, we're talking, but every, you know, 20 minutes to an hour, get up and do something, right? Be a up, sit-ups, you know, squats. And then some techniques that we really like are our muscle releases because the body and the mind are interconnected, right? And to be able to get that awareness of what your muscles feel like when they're tight and when they're loose, because most people don't realize that they're actually tight because they don't have that awareness. That's sort of, you know, we use things like surface muscle tension of the trapezius to be able to show that. When people say oh i feel great and relaxed and but your surface muscle tension is is up through the roof and when you create that awareness for people you know you take something that's covert that we're unaware of and make it overt for them then they understand oh there is a difference so there are simple things that you can do um an example just say your arms okay slight tension you know make two fists Bend at the wrist, bend at the elbow, and gently hold that for about 5 or 10 seconds. But keep breathing. Use that breathing technique we talked about before so that the rest of your body stays relaxed. Right, And after 5 to 10, 10 seconds, let go. And feel your muscles in, in your arms relax and lengthen. And if you repeat that multiple times with submaximal contraction, You'll you'll feel the difference between when you're tight and when you're not, right? You can do that with your core, with your legs or your face and your head and neck. So for your face, head and neck, you know, gently pull the back of your neck towards the wall or the bed or whatever, wrinkle your forehead, squeeze your eyes together, squeeze your lips, right? Bite down on the back of your teeth gently you don't want to crack anything. Now hold that for five to 10 seconds, but again, keep breathing in that, in that pattern where the exhale is twice as long as the inhale, you know, to stay relaxed, then let go and feel those muscles relax, right? Let them go, you know, and then, um, at night you can do the deep relaxation. You know, we do, a, I like a guided meditation, but that uses, um, first the breathing to, to just get relaxed. Then progressive muscle relaxation, then autogenic exercises, you know, to completely get into a deep relaxation. And then, as we talked about the the critical aspects, the objective metrics, right? To be use your HRV daily because by tracking it, you you um you you can see your pattern, and and it's the objective data that become critically important. I believe, you know, be it the EEG or your heart rate variability, because by showing changes on a computer screen or a tablet or a smartphone in front of you, right? it produces what we call aha moments. Because seeing the physiological features on a screen is extremely effective. Because elite performers and most people spend their time looking for and believing measures that show changes towards success. And the ability to control Those biofeedback measures like your HRV reinforces a sense of personal control, which is very powerful because we all have a history of outcome experience, right? We have a history of knowing what happens when we properly control our thoughts, emotions, and behavioral patterns, right? That's what I was saying before about anchoring your attention to the past. Remember what that looked like, felt like in in a time of, of high performance. And by doing these mm-hmm. types of things, we're really creating and developing behavioral stillness, you know, which is similar to mindfulness, flow, quiet mind, or what we call an ideal performance zone.
1: Mm, I like that too, is that the kind of almost relates back to what you might hear from some Eastern kind of philosophy, which is either uh still mind and moving body, or a cool head and warm body, (laughs) those types of things, rather than being a hot head uh, with a cool body or, uh, you know, a racing mind with a still body. And, uh, And so in a sense too, like I think one of the underlying themes that you're getting at here and you've even said is, especially during times of elevated stress and overwhelm, it's really difficult to just analyze yourself um, objectively and to, to introspect is a challenge anytime, but especially during stressful times. And I, I have firsthand experience of this. Um, the past year plus has been some of the most stressful times of my life um, for many good reasons, um, like having a baby and a thriving business, but, um, but also just, you know, uh, trying to deal with a lot of different things, trying to kind of, uh, feel a little bit of, um, empathy in your, in the story you shared at the beginning about trying to be a high performer in so many ways. And, but what I kind of am getting at here is that I have also felt like, my ability to kind of look inward and say, this is the state that I'm in. This is exactly what I need. And I'm just going to do it. (laughs) Life would be so much easier if we could all just do that objectively and accurately, but a couple different ways that you can figure out and create checks and balances and systematize your introspection in a way is to outsource some of it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, look to your loved ones and get feedback from them, and look to these really neat pieces of technology that we have. Which obviously I'm biased because I've helped create one of those pieces of technologies, but um, but mainly because it's also a passion of mine, and it seemed like something that I could personally use as much as anyone else. And measuring HRV or measuring other markers, if you have, or even just kind of. Um, Like you said, doing a Sudoku puzzle and seeing how your brain's performing as a baseline. Uh, But all of these things give you deeper insight and more accurate insight into what's going on on the inside. Um, And you don't have to take on the mental burden of trying to figure it out all by yourself as well. Uh, And then that immediate feedback loop, you mentioned biofeedback being a really powerful tool. Obviously, too, I'm a big believer of that. That's why we've built a bunch of new features around that in our app, too. But it's it's uh, it's such a tool that kind of can, like, help you remove yourself from the situation, focus you in uh, on what you can control in that moment, and create that ripple effect to the rest of your life, you know? Create a routine around it.
0: I agree. I mean... It- I don't think that people realize how much personal control they have over their situation, right? I mean, yes, you can't control what's going on around you um, with others. You can't control what's coming at you. But we have the ultimate control of how we react or respond to any given moment. And if we take the time, and it takes time, I mean, this doesn't happen overnight, but if we take the time to engage in these practices, then we will ultimately be able to serve ourselves and, more importantly, others in times of crisis and stress. And the objective metrics. Are critical because they're they're the true measures of how we're doing right we we can fool ourselves into believing anything um but the data doesn't lie right i mean i find it funny you see people on tv talking about anecdote but the plural of anecdotes not data so the data important (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's it, that, that's true <laughs> that's a good one
0: <laughs> you have to put some lighthearted things in there
1: <laughs> yeah it is and it's um it's you know i think that's one of the things too though is like um not to take things overly serious obviously there's a lot of serious stuff we just talked about over the past hour but the nice thing about some of these techniques and i just want to kind of reiterate them at a high level is that, um, you know, you talked about uh, gaining self-awareness and gaining it through introspection, also from feedback from your loved ones and objective markers like HRV. And then you talked about, you know, different techniques like breathing techniques and self-talk and muscle releases and things like that. And the neat thing though is that during all these serious situations, you don't have to take the process, you don't have to treat the process as some type of stressful process, right? When we're looking at breathing and self-talk and muscle relaxation, there's there can be even a sense of worry of whether or not you're doing it right or whether or not it's actually working for you. And I think the message that you kind of helped uh, depict, um, you know, we can reiterate here is, do what works for you, right? And find things that work for you. Like you said, if you need a moment to just relax and decompress, obviously you can't maybe go fly to an island right now or something like that. Well, I don't know. (laughs) I, I can't usually do that anyways, but, um, the, uh, you can go to another room. You can just get a moment to decompress and, um, and, you know, the self-talk thing is find the message that works for you. It could be some people like to self-talk in a very kind of almost aggressively motivating way. um, And other people prefer to to say, you know what, it's not even self-talk. It's just me reassuring myself that everything's going to be okay, right? It's not like telling yourself what to do. It's more of just saying, uh, you know that thing doesn't have to affect me so much, or it doesn't have to be so important as I'm treating it, um, and all and all things like that. So I just kind of want to iterate that the process of focusing on breathing and self-talk and muscle relaxation and getting away; these are all about you. So make them the way that they work for you. Right.
0: Exactly. I mean, I I I, I couldn't agree more. I mean. That's sometimes the problem when people talk about only one technique or, you know, it may not work. That technique may not work for you. So by providing people with a a series of different things, they'll be able to find what works for them. Because what works for me may not work for them. You'll note when I talked about you know, I do a deep relaxation at night, I do a guided relaxation, and I use progressive muscle relaxation and autogenics. Well, that may not work for you. But that doesn't matter. Because ultimately, we're going to the same state. Right? The state of mindfulness and being present and able to perform. But how we get there is going to be different for everybody.
1: And that's, that's just as important as as sharing that there are techniques that you've seen in your practice and over the years of, of your experience and that I've seen in my uh, business and through our network and through my practice in past years that are great starting points. And you've shared some of those today, such as increasing your exhale to inhale ratio, so longer slower exhales, things like that, using HRV biofeedback to see how your nervous system is responding. All of those are powerful techniques. And, you know, as we kind of wrap this discussion up, I want to share again, uh, you know, first of all, a big thank you to you, Richard, for sharing your personal story to help frame this conversation. But also that we talked about how people can help and you are stepping up and and being a great example of that, sharing your story, sharing some vulnerability with the world. It doesn't have to be on a podcast to thousands and thousands of people. You can share and be vulnerable with just one loved one, right? And you can also share these techniques with your loved ones or your coworkers or people around you, Um breathe together, take take a time to um, decompress together if you want, or just share this information with them, right? So, that's another part of our goal. And I also want to highlight too that I know, you know, Richard, you're here just to share your story and in a time that you've felt a, a high degree of motivation to kind of bring it to the public because you know it, it could help people. And um, that people, you know, I, I do this anyways on the podcast, but I just want to highlight again, specifically here is that, uh, people I'm speaking for you. So <laughs> please let me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Richard, but, uh, people can reach out to you directly if they're looking for help or just encouragement. And especially people who have, uh, like me, a network or a company, of people that could benefit from your message. Um, you know, you have a lot of experience and expertise and high performance, both in business surgery and sports. And so picking your brain is something that you're available for is, I guess what I'm trying to get at here. <laughs> is that correct? Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> and, and to come and give talks a hundred percent.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. And what's the best way for people to find you for that?
0: Uh, probably on LinkedIn. We're just starting to build the website for, for the venture. Uh, so I would say LinkedIn is the best way to get me. Richard S. Hart. Perfect.
1: Yeah. I'm there. Okay. And we'll, we'll link to you, um, on our show notes as well for the podcast. So everybody who listens knows that it's elitehrv.com slash podcast And look for Dr. Richard Hart, where we'll have notes from all the things we've talked about and links to him on his LinkedIn and where you can find more information and talk to him about potentially speaking or sharing some of his experience with you or your organization or uh, group. And uh, But Richard, you know, we've covered a lot of ground here and I kind of want to book in the conversation uh, and just thank you again for your personal story and being willing to share that with us and then encapsulating some really hands-on techniques that people can start implementing right in this moment. Um, Is there anything else that you want to part, you know, share with the group before we part? Um, You know,
0: I just want to say probably to everybody, stay safe stay well we will get through this it's going to take a long time though and follow the science and as jason said there's do the simple things wash your hands you know practice uh, distancing sheltering in place i mean it's easy to get worried i mean but we have a health crisis we have a humanitarian crisis, we have an economic crisis, but it will get better. And trust in that. And I would like to you know, say to all the people who are working on the front lines in any industry right now, how valued you are, how critical you are. And how much respect I have for you all. Um, And then, on a personal note, you know, I want to thank Dr. Wilson, who is my partner in uh, the business, who was my mental performance coach when I was competing internationally. And so I've known her for over 35 years. And a lot of the things I talked about today, you know, were things that she taught me and the things that she's taught international athletes dating back to the seventies. And and I wouldn't be able to talk about all of these things on the level that I do if I hadn't learned them from her and continue to engage with her. So, you know, it always sounds like it's me talking, but, but I've had people teaching this stuff to me. I didn't come, come across it all on my own. <laughs> so.
1: I appreciate that. Yeah, we all have, we all have people whose shoulders we stand upon at some point or another, and I think that just kind of echoes again the message of don't be afraid to get help and ask for help and use help when it's available to you. And if you know somebody that could benefit from hearing that message, then you know reach out to them because now more than ever, people are open to receiving help as well. Agree. Well, thanks everybody for listening and we'll wrap it up there. Thanks again, Richard, for joining and sharing your message with us and be safe, be well, and, you know, smile too, right? (laughs) Smiles are powerful.
0: Thank you, Jason. I appreciate the opportunity to talk and I look forward to doing it again.
1: Cheers. The Elite Academy now offers in-depth online courses on multiple subjects, so if you're enjoying the content of this podcast, but you're looking for a more structured and logical progression, looking at the science and application of these subjects, check out the Elite Academy at EliteHRV.com slash Academy.